You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. 1935, the Lions win the NFL championship. The Detroit Tigers take the World Series. The Red Wings bring home Lord Stanley's Cup. Joe Lewis begins his rise to world domination. This transforms the Motor City into Detroit, City of Champions. Uh, With the crack of the bat, we are off and running Detroit City of Champions, the podcast. Diving deep into the 1935 year, 33 championships. Just some amazing stuff compiled in in, an amazing collection by Charles Avison. Hey, one hell of an author. Uh, I, I love your, that, I love your, I love you. your uh, uh, traveling, uh, the the stories of a, a traveling storyteller. I, lo- I love those, I love those little bits, man. One of my friends says it was the that's his favorite part of the whole book. Yeah, like he says he's like, dude, you should only just do book an entire book on just the tales of a traveling storyteller. It, it's it's uh, it's just um, the, the interesting people that you met. Yeah, it's. Uh, I actually at one point I wrote down, I wrote down a, this. I have this huge piece of paper. It's like. I don't know, 11 by 17. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I got this huge piece of paper, but I wrote down, uh, I went down year by year and chronicled just like little reminiscences, yeah. like about each week, like I went through. And it's like I, when I spent like a couple days writing it, I've got hundreds. You know, I mean, I've did, I did hundreds of art shows. Yeah. I was at every single, you wouldn't imagine the time. I mean, I dedicated myself to telling this story to every person in the state of Michigan with my own mouth. And yeah. it was, I went, it was at Cider Mills, it was at Library Talks, it was. Riverfronts, you know, beaches, art shows. I mean, every type of per- place that you can imagine that people yeah. were at, and it was like, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting to say the least. I bathed in every Great Lake one summer, mm. and not out of like, like I say, I didn't go swimming in every lake. I bathed in every. You're great literally. Lake. Yes. There's nothing romantic about it. It's just uh, yeah. It was like I survival. save a quarter on the shower. It, it, at that's the... how it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was. And, so, yeah, it was interesting. What was one the warmest of, lake. <laughs> yeah, it really was. It was like the yeah. It's, which uh, which was the, the yeah which was the warmest of all five. I think at the time it was. Uh, um, what is it, Lake, uh, Lake Huron? Is yeah. it the one right next to Michigan? Uh, to uh, um, yeah, Lake the one Huron. with all the nuclear yeah. reactors dumping in. Yeah, there. that one. That was that nice was and toasty. Yeah, yeah that's, that's actually uh, yeah. up the up, uh, by Sarnia. Uh, there's uh, there was some sort of yeah. uh, on the other on the Canadian side. We yeah. go we go swimming. <laughs> the water was like bath water out there. I was like, uh, this can't be good. They use it for cooling or something. But one of those interesting people you met. In your travels was uh, Tom Urich. Sitting Tom. right here in front of us. Oh, yeah. Hey, I remember Tom. it well. And uh, talking to Charles, and uh, we had a little powwow, and I was so excited that uh, I learned about the books and called. They got a hold of his father first. Oh, that's right. Yep. 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 And your yep. father told me and gave me your number. And I was so proud because I had a fellow companion that left yes. in 1935. Tom was the first person I ever met that was bit by the City of Champions bug, just like I was. Yeah. And it was like it was it was comforting to know that I wasn't the only person in the entire world that could recognize <laughs> how how amazing a, yeah. a, a year in which Detroit wins 33 championships in a single year. How interesting that was! Yeah. I, like at the time, I was thought I was like about the only person in the world. And to, so to meet Tom, that was he was the first person. I met that was like had been bitten by that bug and uh yeah, and I'd like so to was... tell the story on how uh I learned about you it was Bill Williams who was a stockbroker at Oppenheimer over in Plymouth. He was eighty years or eighty three years old huh. and he had your book on his desk and he told me that uh, he went to the nineteen thirty five 
championship game wow. out, out, out at Titan Stadium. And his, oh, the Lions of championship. The Lions, yeah. yep. And a, he saw the game, and his favorite player was Ernie Cadell. Nice. Uh, yeah. But all of his life, he when Ernie Cadell wore letter number one. Mm. Oh, that's the sweater with that he did. Yep, yeah. And then he, he, they were a very poor family, so his mother made him a, a one and put it on his sweatshirt, and he went to school as Ernie Cadell. Yeah. And he had your books, all three, and – I said, well, I've got a tape. I would like to have you hear Ernie Cadell's voice. Ooh. And his son told me that when he heard Ernie Cadell's voice, he cried. Uh, yeah, because a, yeah. he was his idol uh, when he was playing. But, you know, it, in the 30s, they didn't have the sports center and, yeah. and all the technology. He never heard his voice. Yeah. And then when he heard his voice, he said he was just he, he was just in tears oh, yeah. to hear his actual voice of his hero. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you go back a few episodes, you'll be able to hear those uh, exact recordings. Yeah. Uh, we yep. shared we shared a whole lot of those yep. uh, when Tom started joining us. We've got and, a few more to uh, show too at some point in the future. We got yeah. a Charlie Garner interview. I'd yep. like to dive a little deeper into at some point, right. maybe in the future. And yeah, I'm waiting for yep. Joe Lewis too. That's the oh, yeah, that's, that's gonna be my fun. Specialty. Yeah, that's gonna be fun. I've yeah. known yeah. him well and had many many conversations with him over the years, and I think the listening audience will appreciate what uh, he that, told me. That's one of the big stories of the year was. was Joe Lewis, Big along time. with the Tigers, yep. uh, and then the Lions, and then uh, what we're working through right now, the Red Wings. Well, this so, story has got like everything. Yeah. Okay. Like when I when I say um, the for the screenplay for the movie. Yeah. Like it's got every component of every great sports movie ever, but these are true stories. Yeah. And I mentioned I say this when we mentioned Joe Lewis because you know one of the classic components of a lot of these sports stories is. You know, you know, like the you know the, the the battle against segregation, like the Jackie Robinson story, yeah. right? I mean, that's your you know like you know a, a, one of these you know classic sports components. And Joe Lewis was like, you know, I say the Jackie Robinson story before the Jackie Robinson story, yeah, because you know he you know he's that's the era he's um you know he's coming of age, and um you know it's uh, he's you know he's going against like the this uh you know this this sense of like that no black man will ever get a chance at the heavyweight championship, mm-hmm. and so that's just one component. You know, like the Tigers are like sort of the bad news bears component, right? Um, and there's like there's every single great sport sports story is wrapped up in the stories of these of these teams. And that's what I mean. Like when we put it all together for a mini series for like a you know HBO or Netflix or whatever, this is going to be the greatest sports story ever told on film. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's a true story. It's not you know Bad News Bears is great, but it's like it's a fictional story. This is real. And so that's what I mean when you put it all together. You know what I mean? You've got every single component of every great sports story. It's just um, like I say, I've already seen it. It's in my head, and yeah. I can't wait. Um, to share until in the meantime, we're going to be talking about it and yeah. going into detail, you know, telling people that, what they can expect. You know, the last two episodes we talked about the roster and some roster changes and 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 how the the lineup uh, got solidified, right? And we talked about some of the yes. players. Yes, yes, and so well, you know, we've been talking about the evolution of you know, like how the NHL and then the you know, Detroit franchise grew and Jack mm-hmm. Adams. And then how, you know, entering this season, you know, the roster had to, you know, they, they realized in 1934, 35 mm-hmm. that this, you know, if they were going to compete on the, with the likes of the, with the, especially with the Tigers, but even with the Lions, they had to be competitive. The 35, right. they're going into 35. They knew that they had to put a, a real good team together, um, or they would just become irrelevant. And irrelevancy in sports means is a, is the kiss of, is the final kiss of death. And so they knew they had to do something. And so that, so they really started plowing. You know, we talked about um, the the money they were spending on players, the creativity that Jack Adams had in um, in getting players. Uh, you know, in and also um, you know 
uh, how the, the minor league team was chipping in players, yeah. how they beat the minor league team, the Olympics beat. Uh, it was called the Detroit Olympics. They actually beat the parent club, which was the Detroit Red Wings, yeah. which led Adams to look at this minor league team, most certainly saying, you know, this is a team that's got some components. Like, mm-hmm. hell, I should just bring the entire minor league team to the majors and just call it a day. But well, he's got he too did. many. He brought in, you know, I brought in Bucko. Yes, yes. So, but but instead, he did, he he died. He he went for um the uh you know the core guys on that yeah. minor league team. Um, but so so anyway, so we've so we've gone. I think we've done a you know pretty good job going through the main player acquisitions. But mm-hmm. there's sort of one. Um, there's what there's sort of a final, um, at least one more component to talk about, which is I think it's so important. It was I was thinking about what we should do for today's show. Yeah, it is something I wanted to do. Like you know, it's something I really want to spend at least one show on. And so, um, and it's something we we touched on early on, like maybe four or five episodes ago, which when we started talking about Doug Young. Yeah. And so Doug Young um, is going to is, so Doug Young. Yep, we got him on the screen. Um, so Doug Young, we when, to you know, go back to, a little bit in time to when we first started introducing Doug Young. Um, we talked about Doug Young as a defenseman. He's one of the one of the guys that Jack Adams has identified as a core player um, for this team. He's identified this guy as a as a as a great player um, as one of his like sort of five core guys. He's not trading Doug Young, but the problem with Doug Young is that Doug Young had not had yet to reach his potential. Oh, okay. And so Jack Adams, and so going into the season. Um, uh, you know, he brought he got Scotty Bowman for for def- as a defenseman. He knew he was pretty much set with Scotty. He, he was part of that fifty thousand dollar deal with Sid Young. Um, he's got Doug Young, um, who is basically and we're talking about the defenseman. He's now he's looking as defenseman, and uh, he needs at least four solid defensemen for this you know for this new team he's putting together. So he's got Scotty Bowman. This is new, like sort of you know young addition. You know, like um, and then he's got uh, Doug Young, who is good but hasn't yet great. And he's got potential in Bucko. He has no idea what he's going to get with Bucko. He knows Bucko did great with the Olympics. On the NHL, though, it's another story. It's a complete mystery. This is Bucko. Um, you know, he's 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 an exciting player, but they don't know what how much they can actually rely on him. Right. And so, um, and then he's got a basically an open slot for a fourth uh, fourth defender. And so we're going to talk about the two issues that we just mentioned: the fourth slot for that defender. He needs a defenseman to fill that last slot. And he also needs um, Doug Young. He needs to figure out something uh, to get Doug Young to play up to his potential. And so that's why we call this episode the Reluctant Star because this is where we're going to the story begins. You know, this is where we're we're, we're trying to head into. So, um, so anyways, it, so I just to start off, I want to um, to start off, I want to read to you a quote. Okay, we don't yeah. usually don't start this early on with a quote, but I'm gonna bring it. Bring it on out, yeah. So, um, so this is a quote about uh, so so Ed, this is Ebby Goodfellow on October fourteenth, nineteen thirty five. Um, the the it was in the Detroit Times, and it was uh, Frank McDonald who was mm-hmm. the, the the author of the article. And so, this is the announcement of Eddie Good Ebby Goodfellow was captain of the Detroit Red Wings. Mm. Okay, you want to see that captain slot? Or yeah, Goodfellow? we can show. You know, yeah, we can show. Yeah, um, that's right. fine. We can throw get that's cool right there. Yeah. So anyway, so here's the so here is the uh, the quote for this. Ebenezer Ebby Goodfellow will captain the 1934 edition of the Detroit Red Wings, manager Jack Adams announced last Saturday. Uh, Adams had this to say, Ebby will be the captain as long as I am the manager. He is an ideal leader and has the confidence and respect of all the players. Now, this might just seem like a normal press release, okay, just like this everyday average press release, but this right here is profoundly important to a series of dominoes, which I intend to introduce in the next little bit, and then over the over the course of this show. Okay. So I'm just going to repeat that, just so we all know. I'm going to repeat Jack Adams's quote, all right. just to, for emphasis. Okay. 
Ebby will be the captain so long as I am the manager. He is an ideal leader and has the confidence and respect of all the players. I like the right? look of this guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. I love that picture. It's one of my favorites with Ebby. You can actually see the, the reflection off the table mm-hmm. with Ebby. Yeah. So, um, so he will be the captain as long as I'm the manager. Mm-hmm. That's the key thing to yep. take of this, right? Quoted by Jack Adams. All right. So now I want to say, I want to actually throw one more, um, one more quote in here, right? So five cents is equally short. It's not going to, uh, so we, okay, right here. So, uh, Bob Murphy, the Detroit Times, this is, uh, March in 1936, March 4th, 1936. So he, meaning Abby Goodfellow, teams with Larry Ory and Herbie Lewis to form what Adams calls the three musketeers. Mm. Whenever any change of importance is made in the Red Wings' plans or personnel, Adams always consults with these three men together with the team captain. Right. So, so yeah. So, so these, so two components to understand here. So, so actually, we can throw up on the screen a list of the the Red Wings captains here. All right. So this is the this is this is beginning when they started with the Red Wings. The, when you go back to the Cougars and Falcons, there's a couple other guys that were not necessarily important to the story we're telling mm-hmm. today. So beginning 1932-33, we have Larry Ory. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's the first captain. Then we have Herbie Lewis in 33-34. Those are the two guys we mentioned here as the three musketeers. Yeah. Right? And then notice in 34-35, we have Ebby Goodfellow. All right? Just, just as the an- yeah, this yeah. announcement. Okay? But not, but this is, where, what, this, this is where we need to notice. 1935-36, we have Doug Young. Okay? And so so pay attention to what I just said with that first quote. How do I? Ebby will be the captain as long as I am the manager. <laughs> Ebby will be the captain as long as I am the manager. He said that in 34. Jack yeah. Adams did. And then the next year, Doug Young's. Doug, he, so, so, what, so what would make Jack Adams go back on a quoted newspaper source? On, yeah. So Ebby Goodfellow is one of, if not the best players on the Red Wings. All right. Mm. He is a team captain. And he is one of the three musketeers, one of three. And that, that article that I, with the three musketeers came out in 36. So that was after all this, you know, the yeah. entire season. And so what would make... Um, Jack Adams go back on this determination that Red Wing that Ebby and so and, and you'll also notice that what's even also important to notice is you look at you know look at Doug Young he's captain in this we have a list of all the years that you know, with the captains yeah Doug Young's captain for three years in a row yeah and then you'll and then notice in thirty eight thirty nine Ebby Goodfellow picks right back up as the captain for four more years and right. what in in forty one forty two he ends up being captain with Sid Howe. So he's, so you see that, so there's this, so not only, so it's not, so that the first inclination is to think, you know, face value ones to think, well, 34, 35, what we're talking about, you know, they had a bad year, yeah. right? And maybe Jack Adams was like, well, maybe Ebby isn't the guy to, to lead this team as a captain. Right. But if that's the case, if he, number one, he goes back on his word after he says, he's the ideal leader, he's going to be my captain for life. Yeah. So he goes back on that. And also if Ebby was a bad captain, why did Adams reinstate him? Because Adams still the coach and general manager in 38, 39, all the way through the signal, you know, what we say, like 65 or 67, whatever it was. Um, why would he reinstate him then? Right. So that's what I'm saying. So it doesn't make any sense. So the question, be, that's where, you know, when you're looking into this, this, the, what we're, what just, it's, and it's important for me to say this right now. What you are listening to right now, you, the listener at home, the viewer at home, what you're listening to right now does not exist anywhere else. The, what we are just, what we are beginning to speculate now, what we're, the discussion we're going to have does not exist in any history book except for these. It doesn't exist in any radio show talk that you'll ever hear. It doesn't exist anywhere else except for right here in this show because yeah. that's how much we care about this story that we are willing to, you know, we want to dive into this, into like this sort of mystery because what I believe I've uncovered with this is, um, you know, is the story of, you know, of, uh, you know, the last missing link, the, the, one of the most important critical components of what ended up making this Red Wings team click and also how and why Doug Young was the captain 
of the first you know, Stanley Cup champion Red Wings team. Yeah. How he became that—that's you know—that's that's not insignificant. Yeah, you know, and so and what's also insignificant is this idea that Ebby Goodfellow is not his number is not retired by the Red Wings. And if you look at this list, I mean, this is sort of we're gonna we're gonna get more deeper into it when we get to a we're gonna do a whole show on Ebby Goodfellow. Um, uh, and and if you look at this list. Um, the, the Ebby Goodfell, if he had, if there was, if Ebby Goodfell had continued in a string of captaincy, um, he would with, it would be eight, you know, he, as it is, he had five years as the captain of the Red Wings. Mm-hmm. If he had not, if Doug Young had not been captain for those three years, he would have had eight years as captain of the Red Wings. That would have made him the third longest tenured captain in all of the Red Wings history. Yeah. And with that in mind, would the third longest tenured captain in Red Wings history, would, would that have been a good enough uh, achievement for his number to be retired by the modern day Red Wings? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. this is this this is a this is an important this I I believe this to be um a significant conversation to have sure. because once established about you know the, and this is the this is I'll just get to it. The line of thought that I want to bring out is the idea that Abby Goodfellow willingly sacrificed his captaincy and not only willingly sacrificed it, but it you know there there's a possibility that it might have even been his idea. To right. sacrifice his captaincy to give it to Doug Young because to what bring is, him up to be, yes because there was because and I'll read the, this is the next quote I want to read okay so this is, so the so the issue as I've as I've raised already like the reason why um so so uh, here's six points and the captain's important I captain's mean we just we important. just had uh, a change in the captain here in in the beginning of 2021 yes. uh, and it was it was like. In the news for five six, six days, Absolutely. five six days a week. Absolutely. It was uh, it was mentioned in the news in in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, well, this captaincy, this was mentioned in a newspaper, and the Red Wings were not exactly front page material. And yeah. this was an important thing even back then. It right. was a big deal about who the captain was, and so that's what I mean. Like this is not so. It's like football. I, you know, football. It's like you got. Ten captains on the field at one time. I, sure. I think that's what that's really watered down. It is in baseball but, too. Every once in a great while, you have a captain in baseball, and it's still yeah. it's another. It's again, it's not nowhere near but, the same. But as in hockey. in hockey, it's still that C means absolutely a, a, a crap ton. Steve Eiserman, they call his nickname is the captain for yeah, God's sake. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that. You know this. It's you know that was one of the biggest things with Stevie Eiserman is you know the captain. You know what I mean? And he was he was a tremendous yeah. captain. It was a it was a big deal now, and it's a and it was a big deal so, then. Well, our speculation is that uh, it might have very well been Abby's idea to to, be, to do this to bring Doug Young up, and you yes, said you had a quote because there. here because here so so um yeah so here's the thing so number one, I mean that was why I read the second quote is that Adams whenever every time there's a, 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 an issue of significance he has the three Musketeers Abby Goodfellow Larry Ory and Herbie Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, alongside the whatever you know, whoever's the captain, all three of these men had all three been captains. You know that Herbie Lewis and, and and Larry Ari had both been captains, and so and, and he says any any decision of any significance is going to be brought before this brain trust, the three musketeers, before the decision is made. Mm. Ergo, if you know, here's you know whether it was Jack Adams' idea, nobody knows. This is the thing I need people to understand. No, there's no article that talks about why they did it. I was going to say, did they Adams did, they, address this? They made they he did not. That's what I'm saying. There's no, and that's what I'm saying. We have to, so we have to use the evidence of the ensuing events right. to glean what the, the the rationale for doing it. Because he's not going to come out and say he's not going to come out and say Doug Young doesn't believe he's a star, so we're going to make him a star. You know, by forcing him to be captain. Yeah, he's not going to come out and say it because right, that's right. kind of you know what I mean. Because now that actually lumps even more pressure on Doug Young and kind of makes him look. I don't know uh, how great of a look that is. Sure, sure. So he's not going to necessarily come out and say that. They're going to say, "Doug, we have totally confidence in you." But there is a little bit of evidence that can start us on the path 
towards understanding. Um, and this is the quote that I want to get into. So, um, so this actually comes out. This is February of 1934. This okay. is prior to that 34, 35 season. It's like sort of at the, um, you know, it's actually, I think it's at the tail end actually of the 33, 34 season. So, um, so this right here, it says, um, so, so this talking about Doug Young, um, where he says, uh, um, so, so anyways, so, he, so he, it's a longer quote. So I'm going to glean out the most important section here. And this is where, so this is Detroit Times dated February 4th, 1934. Talking about Doug Young. He is, however, given to lapses. And it is when, and it is when he has lighter moments that his play slips back into mediocrity. Say the same observers. Cause at the beginning it says, incidentally, Young is playing great hockey. Um, and he's, and you know, he's talking about how good he is, but then he says he is, however, given to lapses and it is when he has this lighter moments that his play slips back into mediocrity, say the same observers. All right. So, so right there, it just means, you know, it's, it's, it's saying right there, they're, you know, the newspapers are like these hype papers were like, these guys are great. They're amazing, whatever. And then he's like, however, he's got these moments where he's mediocre, totally mediocre. And now this is where, um, I don't have a quote for, for the next sort of step in the process that, you know, the reason why I say this reluctant star, but Doug Young, you know, the, the, just over the volume of reading about, I mean, they're talking about years and years of reading about this, okay? Um, you know, years of reading about these players, years of reading about Adams. It's tough to, like, quantify, to put all the little pieces together. But what I'm saying is, is though that, you know, Doug Young, from, from the different, you know, you're reading about these different games, you're reading about these different things, and there's this, there's this certain, like, deference of Doug Young to defer to other players, whether it's in interviews like, um, you know, even like when he's the captain, um, he still like defers like, oh, I didn't do anything. It was all these other guys. Mm-hmm. He's always he's like sort of shy. Um, and that's why like it's, it's a it, it is a sense. It is. There is a certain conjecture in this. There is a certain speculation on my part. Um, by no means is this definitive to say this. At the very least, it's a factual that that, that viewers at this time are are seeing that he, he has noticeable lapses in his play, okay. that he's prone to. Um, uh, he's that he's you know he's prone to you know slips back into mediocrity, um. So and that's what I'm saying. It, it's it, but I'm adding to that with just what I personally have read and what I feel in my bones was one of the reasons that they would do this because it's a pretty dr- drastic step to get to take a guy and say oh he's you know he doesn't focus on the game so we're gonna make him a captain so he's always has a focus. <laughs> it seems like there's there's a missing component sure. for the reason why and I am spe- and it's a speculation. There's- but I am I'm putting it out there that um, that I believe, like I say, from what I've read, from what I've read about Doug Young, from what I've read about um, the situations in these games, that I believe it to be that reason that that sort of like the missing additional reason to these lacks, uh, you know, these, you know, um, to these slides into mediocrity, as they say, is this idea that Doug Young um didn't believe he was necessarily a star alongside all these other guys. Mm. And so that's what I'm saying. So this is so so this is uh, like I say. This is where um you know this is where I'm where I'm going with this. Uh, or that's what you know that's what I'm putting out there as far as the reason why. So right. um so anyways so that, but there's no doubt. So so that being said, um I've got several quotes that will actually acknowledge what the, you know what ended up happening with Doug Young once he became captain, and that's also where we can factor in you know what happened you know the results of him becoming captain. In, in, Spoiler alert. Yes, yes. Yeah, spoiler, yeah, yeah. So um so that's what I'm saying. So I want to read to you so the following, so the quotes of talking about like after um after uh he you know after he becomes captain also sort of shed light 
And I think to help enhance what I'm, what I, you know, what I'm saying about, you know, this, this didn't believe, you know, in this superstardom. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of these quotes uh, yeah. to, 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 to show what he was to, you know, talking about here. And so, um, all right. So, um, all right. So, um, right here. Okay. Right here. So talking about Doug Young mm -hmm. and this is, this quote comes from, this is from uh, 1936. So this is uh, this is March 27th, 1936. So this is towards the end of the uh, this is towards the end of the season. Right. All right. So I believe this is like right at the tail end of the season. So it says, um, responsibilities of leadership have aroused him to magnificent efforts in the public in the public print. You naturally read more about the bouncing buckle McDonald than Doug Young, his partner on defense. Um, uh, anyways, that's I don't want to get too any further than that. But right here, being right here, so. Um, being named captain of the Red Wings set some kind of a spark in the manly bosom of Doug Young. He has played as one inspired during the greater part of the campaign. Responsibilities of leadership have aroused him to magnificent efforts. Yeah. That's what I wanted to get right there. So, 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 so they acknowledge right here that being named captain of the Wings has set some kind of a spark in the manly bosom of Doug Young. That right there. And that's exactly what, what Adams wanted. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, like when they say setting a spark in the manly bosom – that's not, oh, he's prone to laxes on just big, on concentration. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, back then, if they would have had like Adderall, if that would have helped them focus a little more, he would have been fine. They would have needed to give him the captaincy. No, they're saying right here, <laughs> it's spark in the manly bosom of Douglas Young, meaning it right. empowered him. You know, you mean, so you see, you see what I'm saying? This, this is the kind of language that they use. And I'll read another one. So, um, like I say, you know, the, the way that they, they talk about it. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, so here's right, it says, uh, Sorry, Doug Young, captain of the Wings, was ranked by leading observers as the number one defenseman of hockey for the 1935-36 season. Young, Young accepted the responsibilities of leadership like a great general. His play improved to such extent that he was an inspiration to his mates. He never slackened the pace during the entire campaign, movies, moving always to where the fight was thickest. That was Bob Murphy, um, Detroit Times, April 13th, 1936. So anyways, um, you're good. You're good, son. So right there, like you yeah. say, so young. So once again, they're pointing once again that mm -hmm. it was the it was the the you know the transfer of leadership, the transfer of responsibility that elevated him to the next level. Yeah, you see, um, and so I want to give an example here too. This is another. This is another little uh, quote. Um, so this is an example of the type of um. So this is the type of this is actually Doug Young in a game, mm -hmm. right? I just love this quote here because because this is Doug Young actually in the thick of the game, and they're they're sort of talking about you know what what it is. So, anyways, Doug Young probably didn't. This is in this article comes out. This is uh, April eighth, nineteen thirty six, by Bob Murphy, the Detroit Times. So, Doug Young probably did more yelling on the ice during the latter part of last night's game than he has his entire hockey career. Come on, gang, hold them. Watch out, Larry. Attaboy, Normie. Come back fast, fellows. The captain was the, the wings captain was playing as one inspired, but also bellowing out orders like a general on a war stricken battlefield. One by one, newspapermen and the chosen few fans who managed to gain admittance to the dressing room filed by to shake the hand of Captain Doug Young. Mm. And so I have one more, and this is like my final this is the exclamation point. It's actually the very next um paragraph. It's the okay. exclamation point on this entire thing. The same, so talking about Jack Adams, the same Adams declared emphatically that making Doug Young captain had caused Doug Young to find himself. This has been the, his greatest season, and what a season. 
So definitively making him the captain right. of this team is, I mean, it, by all accounts, mm-hmm. is by numerous different accounts, different writers, um, including Jack Adams himself, acknowledges is the transference of that captaincy onto Doug Young is what raised his game to a level where, you know, they're saying he's the number one defender in the entire NHL. Okay. Right. And so, like I say, it is definitive that the, so, so, so whether, so like I say, whether it, you know, the reason was specifically be like, as I'm, as I am saying um, that it was because Doug Young didn't believe he was a star, which I think there's, we've, I've just given a, you know, a couple, you know, glances of, uh, of um, uh, ideas that it was, um, or it was just as simple as he was losing focus, whatever the reason was. It is acknowledged in all these quotes here yeah. that the, that the transference of that leadership of the captaincy is what made him raise that game to that next level. And so, uh, it, the long and short of it is, is what an what an incredible psychological move, yeah. You know, by Adams, yeah. by by you know Abby Goodfellow, by the Three Musketeers. Um, this is an this is an incredibly important like you know it's an it's a incredibly unique component to the story that the that, you know the Ebby Goodfellow mm-hmm. um would you know would would transfer that captaincy you know they would trap tra- transfer yeah. this to Doug Young like this you know and it would like you know it, it would you know talk about today in the modern day sports um you know would a player today look at the you know go I want to transfer my captaincy. Right. To somebody else for the you know because I think it's going to raise their game. Yeah, I mean that's unheard of. Oh no, that's unheard of. Yeah, and so um, I mean at least I've never heard of a story like that. And so 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 that's to say so like Ebby Goodfellow um sacrifices that component of his legacy where he's not the captain for eight years as Jack Adams had promised. Right, had said uh you know he's the as captain long as, as long I'm, as I'm here. Yeah, as long as he's here and as long as I'm here, Ebby Goodfellow is it. And we heard a quote last week from um, Bucko where he said Ebby Goodfellow is the ideal of what all hockey players should be. Mm. I mean, Ebby Goodfellow was a revered player at this time. And so, in in one more component of this, and this is um what I want to add this as I we say at the beginning here, is this idea that uh that they were they needed a fourth that they needed a fourth defenseman, mm-hmm. and this is where Ebby steps in again. Ebby Goodfellow, who's one of the top scoring forwards of the NHL his entire career. Yeah. Ebby Goodfellow becomes a defenseman in 1935. Oh. He switches over from a from a forward. He's never he's never played defenseman in his entire career. Oh. I mean, he knows how to play hockey, of course. Sure. Yeah. But he's not necessarily known for his defensive abilities as a forward. He's known right. as a scorer and, a, and as a bruiser. Um and so but and then Adams needs him to become a defenseman. And so here's the thing. Anybody that's looking at Abby Goodfellow with a modern pair of eyes that doesn't understand the context, and I just want to throw this out there too. Abby Goodfellow not only became, I can see we're going to go to more, more Abby when we get to, you know, when we get a chance to really focus on him. Yeah. He became one of the best defensemen in all of hockey in 1935. He went to the, he was the Red Wings only all star in 1935. Oh, okay. And he went as a defenseman. Yeah. All right. And then a few years later, he became. Star be- forward going as yeah, a defenseman. Yeah. And he stayed as a defenseman the rest of his career. <laughs> okay. And he ended up a few years later, he ended up becoming an MVP of the NHL as a defenseman. All right. And when it was, when you actually look at all the records uh, for scoring in that, like right. he's like one of the top scoring defensemen in the NHL year after year after this. Um, and so, uh, and so Abby, so anybody that's looking at Abby Goodfield, that, uh, that this is one of the importance of this entire story. Okay. Is that anybody that looks at Abby Goodfellow 
and says, and you know, they look at his stats mm-hmm. and they're looking at, you know, whether he should be considered for the Red Wings, you know, his numbers should be retired, which is the highest number. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. His numbers, his, you know, he's, uh, he's in the Red Wings Hall of Fame, sure. um, but his number's not retired. Um, his numbers that you should be in the rafters of Little Caesars Arena. Yeah. Good fellow next to the 35. There's none of these players' names are up in the rafter. And he richly deserved it. His entire career was there. He was developed by the Detroit Olympics, which was the team prior. He played with the Cougars, the Falcons. He started out with the Olympics. He's, uh, he's one of the best players in the NHL. He's a Hall of Famer. He, he's the, he's, um, but all of a sudden now it starts to break down. Anybody that's modern day looking back at Abby Goodfellow's record and they're like, well, how many times was he captain? Well, five times he was captain. That's pretty good. No, well, if you remove the, if, if you add in the potential context yeah, of the story, he was sure. a captain for eight, potentially eight years. The only reason he wasn't captain for, you know, potentially eight years is because he sacrificed the captaincy to get Doug Young to play to a higher level. And see, you got to know he was, he was coaching and mentoring uh, as captain yeah. and uh, oh, as that's a second a pic- captain. You know, exactly. Like a- that's another picture I want to show. If we got a, anybody that's watching this, throw that picture up with the, uh, where he's walking up that stairway. What? Yeah, there's. I sent you a picture where he's got the. Yeah, there we go. The playoffs. Yes. So this is this is. I got a photo up on the screen here for anybody that's listening. This is this one of my favorite pictures. And we may have already shown this already, but this is a, a, a full size picture of it. I think we might have showed it in a little corner of when we were introducing Ebby. But this picture shows right here. This photo was taken uh, during the, it was uh, Game Three of the 1935-36 playoffs um, against the Montreal Maroons, and they were walking. Uh, I forgot if it was either from the locker room or to the locker room. Mm. But anyways, this it's like an it's like a small uh, platoon of soldiers walking yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and you can see that. I mean, they're like, I mean, they're in order. And Ebby Goodfellow is at the front. He is the f- guy walking in the front of this team. And so, despite the fact that Doug Young was the captain, they looked at Ebby as the. I mean, he was right. the guy. And I mean, in, in this this picture is just it's one of my absolute favorite pictures from the from the books. Because I mean, it's like these guys are. This is it's. I mean, this is a, a moment in time. They're you know they don't know they're about to be Stanley Cup captains or, or champions or whatever. Yeah. Um. And they're just like you know this is some a random reporter to snap this shot and Abby is leading this leading this procession. You know, mm. and that's not random. You know, this is not a. Ra- you can see just from the way they're walking, the way they're you know walk moving down this tunnel. This is not random that Abby Goodfellow is in the front of that line, and it's not random that they put that in the paper either. Um, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, just, you know, the captaincy didn't necessarily matter to Abby. They all knew he was the leader. Yeah. They all knew that. And, and, and even Doug Young, even when you're just reading it, like I got a ton of quotes from uh, Doug Young in the book and, you know, he, it raised his game. Absolutely. But it didn't take away from Abby. He didn't need that C to be a leader. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't need, it's like a, it's yeah. like a general doesn't need the epaulets on his shoulders sure, because sure. he's like, he's the leader. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He, you know, like these, you know, like the, the best leaders in the world, they don't need, decorations or whatever they lead by action and who they are and that's what i'm saying like you know they you know anybody that's why this i guess once again why this this story i wanted to uh, emphasize this for this for for give it an entire episode is because this is there's no doubt that you know that abby like if he, you know he this guy he could have he could have you know could have and probably should have been captain for eight years right and without that context of that story um, anybody that's just looking at it as like a statistic, they're like, oh, he was captain for five years. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, without the three, you know, and yeah, also there's a, there's a story there. Exactly. So. And also that the, and also, which is the secondary component is that Ebby Goodfellow became a defenseman. So anybody that's looking at the stats and they look at like the first, uh, whatever, five years of his career, 
where Abby's like just lighting up the you know the, the red lamps. And whenever you, and a lot of times, a lot of sources, when you look up Abby Goodfellow, it lists him as a forward. It lists him as a center. It lists him as a forward, right? right? And so they look at his goal scoring numbers and they just watch him sort of go down over the course of his career. And, but the problem is that defensemen, as the name implies, they're not on the attack. They don't score anywhere near as many goals. Right. But if you actually compare his goals as a defenseman to these other defensemen of his sure. era, he's blowing them out of the water. Right. You see? And so that's what I'm saying. He's listed as a forward. But that's what I'm saying. Like these, this era is so detached from us, we don't know any of these stories. And, and, and by putting them in this proper context, you see this special player that emerges. It's, it's like – this is what it's like to me. It's like – I mean, you know, uh, Ebby was like – the Gordie Howe or the Steve Eiserman of his era. Mm. And imagine for anybody that's watched Steve Eiserman or watched Gordie Howe today, imagine if Gordie Howe's number was not up in the rafters of, of, of Little Caesars Arena. It would be insane. Yeah. It would be insane. Yes. And that's and this is insane. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to get at. Right? <laughs> this is insane. Because Abby, you know, spoiler alert, Abby goes on to become this incredible defenseman for the wings. Yeah. He's the miss he's you know, he's the guy that they need. Well, we got a lot um, of people to talk to. We gotta fix the whole Cochrane mess. We got a whole now we pile, gotta, man. Now we gotta fix the good fellow. We got mess. a major mess to fix with Abby, man. <laughs> a major mess. And like the other guys, you could make a same, you know, with the three musketeers. All three of those musketeers should there you go. Larry Ori, his number actually was retired and it yeah. never was actually hung up. It was hung up in Olympia, but it was not hung up uh, when they moved over to Joe Lewis, which is the most craziest thing I've ever heard. How can it be retired by Adams and Jim Norris? The number is retired by them, and yeah. I mean, it's, it was actually framed and put in the concourse. It was nobody's ever going to wear that number again uh, yeah. for Larry Ori. Um, and then and number six, and no, nobody's going to wear the number again. And um, and so that so that number is retired. Uh, it, but it never has come over. And then, like I say, Adams has got this three musketeer group. And, um, and how, you know, like it's some strength trying to say, like you, the three musketeers, Ori, Lewis, and Goodfellow, their numbers should be retired, absolutely. And good, and Abby, good, you know, like I say, if, even if you want to say Herbie Lewis, well, you know, he's, he didn't have as big of a name. He wasn't his captain as long as Abby, you know, if you want to, you know, it's, but Abby, absolutely, his numbers should be retired. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ever, until my dying day, I'm not going <laughs> to, until somebody makes it, you know, until somebody can make any type of a case. That is even remotely um, that that goes against uh, you know what I have to say about it you know or what this you know what I presented then it's ridiculous it's yeah. ridiculous and so anyways yeah so Ebby Goodfellow um, uh, switches to defenseman he gives up his captaincy to Doug Young and uh, so he solves this problem that you know now, now so this is what they get out of this deal is they got an they get, they get an elite defenseman in Doug Young with the best defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. They get Ebby uh, Goodfellow as a defenseman who is um becomes one of if not the you know the best in the NFL but he's certainly one of the best scoring defensemen in the NFL or the NHL. Yeah. And um and now they got their 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 four guys and so um the way that the the sort of the rotation worked out was is that Doug Young would be paired with Bucko McDonald. Because and that's what we have actually have a picture here. If you want to flip it to, um, so this is the little quartet. We got a photo on the screen with all four of the Red Wings defensemen. This is their quartet. These are the four guys that are going to play every single game, mm. all the games that the Red Wings play. I think it was forty eight. Um, right. 40, like they play all the games. They don't all four of them. There's no other defensemen they use. It's just these four guys. Oh my god. Yes, these guys are total beasts, <laughs> and they're all four. Of them. And the rotation is going to be, um, the the two the the pairs are going to be. Um, it's going to be uh, Doug Young and Buckle McDonald, okay, and then Scotty Bowman and Ebby Goodfellow. And so the way, and so the way that it worked was, is that the reason for the pairings was, 
that uh, Bucko, Bucko McDonald is just raw. You know, we've already talked about yeah. Bucko was super raw, super aggressive, and he was balanced off with like the elite Doug Young who could basically cover up for the mistakes of Bucko. And I also think that that helped Doug Young too because it gave him like a whole, like a, like a, lackey to you know or like a student to really to like they actually forced him into that role yeah. even more so where he's where he's like gotta like because bucko came in right he was the he was the lacrosse guy yes yes and and it's like oh wait let's put him on skates let's see what happens skates, and yes. this was like when he played for the wings it was like his third game he ever yeah, played or something yeah, ridiculous yeah, like, that. like four, yeah when, he, when he first started with the olympics when he came over olympics, from buffalo yeah, yeah. with from the from the maple leafs yeah. yeah he actually he was all he was mad because he didn't get in any into any games with the um with the buffalo with buffalo and so yeah they like you know so he needed molding so that captain totally. that that, uh, yeah. that probably helped him be a better cap, young be a better captain. It's yeah. exactly that's what I'm saying. It actually gave him a guy like if he would have been partnered with Ebby or with a you know with, with Scotty Bowman. Scotty Bowman was like, I don't need any tips from you. You know, yeah, like yeah, I mean, yeah, it yeah. Could, he might not. I'm not saying he would have said like that, but yeah. But with a raw bones rookie, yeah, especially when it's like you know, hey, hey, Doug, what are we gonna go hit today? You know, he's like, Bucko's got this like naivete. You know, he's going. Buck you, know, goes, uh, you know, Bucko's like, hey, Doug, you know, I'm going to go hit the guy. Steaks yeah. And, uh... Bucko's like, I'm going to go hit that guy. Okay, Doug. You know, and Doug's <laughs> okay. like, okay, I got your back. I'll cover whatever, you know, loose end puck gets by you. You know, like, you know, Doug, that was, you know, so it kind of gave Doug an actual, like, uh, you know, a, sort yeah. of a protege, you know, a guy that he actually felt comfortable with, too, mm-hmm. you know. So that, that's another aspect and of so it. And so what too. was the, the other pairing? So the other pairing is uh, Scotty Bowman and, uh, and, and Abby Goodfellow. And so with that lineup, uh, with that sort of um, uh, with that grouping, you've got Scotty Bowman, who's been a de- you know a you know defenseman for his whole career, mm-hmm. and he's also a you know a solid good defenseman. Um, and he's not really known as a big scoring defenseman, Scotty Bowman. Very you know only scored a couple of goals every year, but then he's paired and, and actually and 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 he's paired with Ebby, who is a scoring defenseman, as we mentioned. And likewise with um with Bucko and Doug was Bucko was never really a scorer except for in the playoffs when he just has like you know, seasons <laughs> worth of goals. Um, but Doug but Doug Young was actually a you know he, you know Doug Doug was a fantastic defenseman. He was a great offensive defenseman. He was a great defensive defenseman. Um, but so he so that gave so that gave scoring punch to both of those defensive lines as well, yeah. and so it was a perfect balance. Um, the only thing that was wrong with it, um, I was I was going to kind of say this for next week, but it's just it's not going to take long to go to, is the idea that Scotty Bowman is that you know is that uh, is that Abby Goodfellow and Scotty Bowman love to both fight. Uh, they love to fight. They huh. love to get in fights and you know and hit people and stuff. And it led to a ton of penalty minutes for both of them. Oh, okay. And so the problem was, especially after the first couple games of the season, when both Abby Goodfellow and Scotty Bowman are both in the penalty box, you know, <laughs> it's not hard for Ed you only Adams. got only two other defensemen. To... <laughs> yeah, they got so that the other guys got to work hard. But I mean, they're two guys short or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a couple. There was actually a couple of moments where both of his defense on his line are both in the box, and so he's like. No, we can't have this. And so he, one gets in a fight, and there's one. I'm going to finish it for him. Yeah, that's the kind of thing. Like so, both guys would be in the box, and you got both your defensemen there. And so, um, and so, uh, he actually commanded. Um, you know, he basically told Scotty Bowman, he was like, "Listen, I've been trying to temper Ebby for years, and that's never going to happen. Mm. I'm never going to get Ebby to stop fighting. And we actually kind of need him to keep fighting because he's a total beast. <laughs> and he's got these rivalries with Johnny Gotzelig of the Blackhawks yeah. and uh, Red Horner from the Blue, you know, Maple Leafs. You know, he's like kind of like your Bob Probert. You know, he's like he's like a you know he's a total you know he's like I say Ebby's a scorer. He's not just a pure muscle guy, you know, a fighter. But he was a but he was like probably their best fighter. Ebby was. 
Um, and so that's why he's like, I can't stop Abby from fighting. But so Scotty, you're going to have to not, not, and that's going to, and that's an entire story unto itself is, um, is Scotty Bowman, um, in like his, you know, him having to take on this, like, you know, like not fight, even though that was totally part of his game was, yeah. was fighting and stuff. So that was the one sort of weak link in that armor. And they were able to, they you know, they, they would, um, they would, you know, overcome it and they, and, uh, uh, these four defensemen would play together for the next two years and they would be the, this would be the, the core group of four guys that would win, not, you know, spoiler alert, not only the 1935 championship for Detroit, but the following one as well. Okay. These are the four guys that would be back to back. This was the pairing. We've got this great photo on the screen where all four of them are singing. It's yeah. called the quartet. They're all singing together. And then the bottom, I found this, I've got this great picture, what I totally love, which is Doug Young and, uh, Buckle McDonald and yeah. they're standing in front of, uh, Normie Smith. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's yeah, that's pretty much what I wanted to get to. Well, let today. me throw a challenge out there. Yeah, throw it all. Uh, so 1935, City of Champions, 33 championships in 1935. But we're talking about the Red Wings, the 35-36 year. Yes. So uh, has anybody called you on that to say no? It's that the Wings didn't win the championship in 35; they won it in 36. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. They, the people they'll throw that out there because it was because so, it wasn't the same year. So how do you how do you how do you call that? Well, it, it, it's it all happened within a seven month stretch. Okay, I mean it's a, I mean it's like dominoes, like a seven. Right. This whole everything we're talking about happened within in a, a seven, seven month within stretch. a seven month stretch. Yeah. So in the hockey season split. Yeah. So is it thirty four, thirty five? Is it thirty five, thirty six? Exactly. It, uh, so, There's no possible way. Yeah. I mean, so, unless, unless you so they have the to hockey, win it. Yeah. hockey, hockey fluctuates across the year. Yeah. So it was within it. You know, I, I usually say within a twelve month span. You right. Know? Right. I mean, within a twelve month span, all this. You know, you know, if it happens within a twelve month span, that's a within a you know the same sure, year. Sure, sure. You know? So, and most so, of it, and most of it happened within seven months. That's what I'm saying. Within yeah. a seven month stretch of time, God, but, you know, can the you Tigers, imagine? The Tigers how it do just... it in October, October seventh. The Lions do it on December fifteenth, and the Red Wings do it on April thirteenth. I mean, it's can, within a, a incredibly short period of time. Can you imagine how crazy the city would be today with three? Yeah. You know exactly. You know, it, but this it, and Jamie, what I'm saying is, is that you know, one of the things I got interested frantic. in, one of the things I got interested in Happy with this story, yeah, that's a great song. I love that song. Yeah, <laughs> just... um, I do. I love. That. I totally love that song. It's a song that I, it gets stuck in my head every once in a while, and I, yeah, and I love yeah, that yeah, when yeah. it does. Um, but anyways, just one of the things I got really interested in with the story, as I the further I got into it, um, was was the idea of like team building because all these teams. All this stuff happened in the formative years of Detroit sports. I mean, mm. the Lions are born in 34. Yeah. The Red, Red Wings are only so named in, you know, 33, mm-hmm. the 32, 33. They're, they're only named in, the, you know, they've only been the Red Wings for, for a handful of years. Yep. And so these are the formative years of these sports. The, the Tigers had never won a World Series. I mean, they've been around. The Tigers were the oldest franchise, in, you know, in the city. Right. Um, but they'd never won a World Series. And uh, and, and certainly the, the state of Michigan had not truly embraced the Tigers the way that we see it today. Not until 35 did that, did that thing happen. So these are the formative years of these teams, and I got really interested in the idea of team building, mm-hmm. building teams. Yeah. What does it like? Why do some cities retain their teams? Why do some cities? Why, why do some teams become um, like you know like such a such beloved by their city? Right. And then other teams don't even last a year. Yeah. You know, and oh, uh, there's there's we'll many. Sell you to Vegas. Yeah. Well, they, they you know they get we'll relocated. Yeah, they get relocated. I mean, it's been uh, there's it's been true. You know, there's been thousands of teams throughout the course of of, of sports history in general sure. for very, all these different cities that leave. They don't never like why did the Packers? 
Why are the Green Bay Packers? They have a. I don't even know how big their city is, but if you look at a population list of all the of the cities with NFL teams, sure. it's microscopic compared yeah. to every other team. Yeah, yeah. Why did they and survive? And their, and their fervor is is, is it's insane. Is it's sold out every game. Yeah. That's insane. Like, like Under, in, in two feet of snow, it's sold yeah. Out. That's what I'm saying. Like, why is it that like in you know cases like people are like well, that's because they have a large population and it's because they do this. It's because they do. no, it's not as form. It's not sure. as formulaic as that. You can't. Right. You can have a big city and not necessarily a team is not necessarily going to attach itself to the community. And that's what I really got into with all this stuff. That's why we talk about the importance of the rivalries. Mm-hmm. That's why we talk about guys like Bucko McDonald who become fan favorites and it, uh, you know, you know, endear these people. I that's why we Bucko. say. That's why we say, like, when these teams are, are, you know, by the Red Wings, it was important for them to win at the same time as the Tigers or Lions because they knew they had to stay relevant. They had to stay relevant. They had to win at this this exact time. Um, And so, one of the things I I talk about, you say, imagine how exciting it would be today Mm -hmm. if these teams won. And that's what I'm saying is, is that Jamie, what I've found from reading through these things is that there is, you know, they talk about those that don't that study history, you know, those that don't remember their history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah. But but I follow um, a more hopeful line of thought, which is that those that understand their history, understand where they came from, understand the lessons of the past, um, can can duplicate. The lessons of the past or can stand on the shoulders of those that came before them and reach for something greater, mm-hmm. can replicate that past. And that's what I'm telling you. This is what I'm saying. What I found in these stories and a lot of these things is, uh, is, that, is that it is entirely possible for Detroit to do something incredible once again. Right. It, but, and there's so many different learning lessons from this story uh, that may, that they were able to tap into to make it a reality. And what I'm saying is, I'm saying this without any, I mean, this is like, I'm, I'm saying this straight to the camera. I was looking right at the, the camera. This, this is, it is entirely possible for the city to, 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 to replicate the city of champion story for a city to dominate in, in you know, in, in a way that no city has ever seen before. There, and there's no, like I say, there's lessons to be gleaned from this. And I can, in one of these days, one of these days, once this story comes out, once this story comes out and the people actually start talking about this and saying, my God, I can't, you know, that, you know, it's, it's not just a bar trivia question yeah. that this is something that actually returns to the, to the, um, to the mainstream world of Detroit sports, that the anniversary is remembered, that Abby Goodfellow's name is hung in the rafters, that Mickey Cochran's you know, number is hung up you know, in all these different things. Yes. And once we start getting it, uh, diving deeper into this and seeing what they did right and understanding where we came from, then we're going to be able to do it again. That's what I'm saying. And so anybody that's listening to this, anybody that's listening to this and tired of seeing their teams lose, Guess what? I got some. I got some things that's going to help our modern day teams. <laughs> Tell these people that watch that run these teams to watch the City of Champions podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> Tell them. Absolutely. And we want to thank it. Yeah, we do want to thank everybody who hangs out with us. We uh, truly appreciate it. There's a, a nice little posse of folks that uh, chime in and say hi. Um, throughout the broadcast, awesome. and we got some viewers. I love while them. we're live, and then people, man. Yeah. Uh, John Howell said hi today. It's and, my dad, how you, and, and, uh, how you doing, Dad? <laughs> uh, and then uh, you know, so it's 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 cool. It's uh, we, so if you if you haven't if you're listening and you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. Uh, leaving a comment would be a beautiful thing, and uh, that'd be pretty cool as well. And we appreciate you here. What I appreciate is uh, Tom, and 
Tom's got a did you know for us. I'm guessing. And, uh, I'm totally guessing. He did not tell us what the did you know was before and, uh, the show started. Yeah, so Tom. Nor did he let me choose which did you know I was going to well, think. Well, I got a I whole totally, list of them yeah. here. Which one do we want? So well, we got a, I thought we already picked one. Well, we uh, did. Did you we know did. with Tom? Well, did you know that in 1960, July the 4th, that a young person, eight years old, went over the oh. big Niagara Falls? <laughs> and uh, how do I know? Because I was there. Oh, geez. I was the last one in the, uh, in the cave of the winds with a raincoat on. Were you in the barrel or were you watching them? (laughs) Actually, I I turned around and I looked at the Maid of the Mist. That's the boat that goes Mm -hmm. up into the falls. And I said, my goodness gracious, somebody fell off the boat because they were all on one side. They had a big net. I I just couldn't imagine uh, that somebody fell off the boat. Little did I ever think that somebody would go over the falls. The falls, yeah. (laughs) So, So I... I told my friend ahead of me, it was in high school, Larry, uh, he would pass it up the line and everybody stopped. And then you took the elevator up to return your uh, raincoat and they were all hubbubbing on the boy that went over the falls. And what happened was that there was a father and his older sister was 14. He was eight. And they, on the Niagara River, they stopped the, the boats. And for some reason, his boat did, went through the weir. And their, his daughter was thrown out, and he was thrown out, mm. and the little boy was thrown out because the Niagara River is one of the fastest rivers in the world. Oh, that, yeah. That 18 or 19 miles an hour current. Oh. And so <clears throat> the girl got over to the American horseshoe, yeah. and they got her out. You need doggy paddling they, against that. They no, never you're... found they, – supposedly they never found his father, but the little Oof. boy – had a life preserver on, and they figured that when he went down, he was boiled between two big mammoth rocks, and he bounced back up, and somebody spotted him on the Maid of the Mist, and they, they plucked him out. He was oh, eight years geez. old. And, and he, he survived, though, right? He, 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 sur- he survived. Yeah. yeah. That's he, crazy. Well, on July the 4th, he had quite a bang, I must have told oh, you. <laughs> like, can you imagine that kid the rest of his life, like, yeah, I went over the falls. They're like, what? Like, yeah. He's like, I survived. They're like, Body what? surfed hey, over the good. falls. I got another quick story that I want to I want to throw in with your with your uh, with the with the Niagara Falls um is uh anybody that's not heard this name before Ed Delahanty. Ed Delahanty was uh basically like the he was like sort of like the Babe Ruth of his day. It was early it was late he was a star from the late 1800s early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And Big Ed Delahanty is one of my absolute favorite baseball players of all time. Big Ed Delahanty. And uh, anyways, he died on the fall over going over the falls. Oh, he was taking a train. He was taking a train to a game in Detroit. Uh, take it from he was playing for Washington Nationals at the time, and uh, Washington Americans because he played was the American League team at that point. I think okay. it was 1902 or 1903. It was the first couple years of the American League, and he was they were taking a train to Detroit, and he got drunk on the train. Oh, and was uh, getting all angry, and uh, the tra- the conductor threw him off the train. And nobody knows he went. They uh, he was he was wandering by. Um, there was a security guard near the falls or such and such, and and uh, he uh, um, there like there, nobody knows if it was an argument that he got in with the guy because he was so drunk he got kicked off the train. Mm. And so um, and then uh, yeah, so there was like nobody knows if it was an argument with that the security guard at whatever lookout or overlook there was there. Um, nobody knows exactly what happened, but they found him like a couple of days later, you know, dead from the grit and it's, uh, yeah, wow. Delahanty. I mean, imagine that whole thing, the ba- best baseball player, one of the best baseball players in the country 
goes over the falls. You know, I mean, it's it's still a mystery to this day that nobody <laughs> really knows exactly what happened. But Jeez. sad ending so, to a tremendous player. Yeah, it's, it's it's a challenge. That's a beautiful falls. Yeah, I, I recommend I've never it. seen it. I've never oh, seen the I Niagara Falls. Go, I would love it. I've seen to, I've seen the Grand Canyon. I haven't seen the Niagara Falls. Niagara so Falls. Have you seen it, JB? You've been there so no, Buffalo? I've never. Uh, it's well, it's well worth yeah. the trip to see that. The road trip with the City of Champions podcast to the Niagara <laughs> Falls. Let's make it happen. It might be a little get loud. Get my water wings on yeah. before I get anywhere too close to that. Okay. Uh, yeah, get it done. Tom, look what happened, man. Yep. It's, it zipped right past. It's it just – where does it go? <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm not telephone call, but uh, – No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, things, you, I mean, so. your lady friend is uh, – uh, you know, you got to keep an eye on her, yeah, so – and I don't mind your phone rings. Otherwise, no, if, it was, if it was Charles, no. I'd be yelling at him. I've already given you. I, I gave Jamie a bunch of grief about it one day because your phone buzzed one day. And I gave you all. I was like, I was oh, like, yeah. oh, well, I was I like, gave, unprofessional. Well, I gave a warning because I got this lady. And she's yeah, yeah. You're good, yeah. man. No, you're good. We accepted you know, that warning. Well, yeah, you're, the, the ring the bell, Louis, Louis's I, I, bell. Yeah, no, you're good, man. <laughs> That's it. All right. So, uh, Detroit City of Champions, the podcast. It's uh, the website, DetroitCityOfChampions.com, and uh, on Facebook. And, uh, you know, get uh, merch there and uh, books and. Yeah, the, the, I'm about to release. I'm about to come out with some new hoodies and stuff, t-shirts and stuff. Because I've been doing. I've got a, a black. If you come into the stores, we're in uh, Twelve Oaks Mall, Novi, Sweet. Uh, Parsons Creek, Clinton Township. Um, I'm I'm actually in those stores quite a bit, and uh, but we this I've been I've got these we've got some pretty cool merch with the black hoodies, black t-shirts with the red text. Okay, and we're about to put out some dark blue ones with white text on them, so it's kind of like right. tiger color, you know, cool. tiger you know look. So I like um, it. Yep. So all right, Detroit City of Champions the podcast. We'll see you next time. Cool. <laughs> That was good. How long was that? Fifty-six minutes. Oh, nice. I didn't. I wasn't sure if there was gonna be enough content for a show. Like.